0: ...tonight. It's going to be a really great evening together. The topic for the night is progressive Christianity. Uh, not for, but against. And it's going to be a really good time uh, together. There is child care available, uh, so if you are interested and you have a birth through pre-K kids and, and want to still come, they can be over there. Uh, please sign up ahead of time if you plan to do that for child care. Um, next, missionary prayer and care is tomorrow night here again, 7 to eight thirty. Uh, We also want you to know that around the tent and on the sheet in front of you, there are little QR codes, and that's a place that you can give us info, uh, get in the loop with what's going on. One thing that we did want to mention is um, our elders and the pastoral staff use the uh, information that you can submit through Church Center, uh, the Church Center app or what, whatever that would be on the QR code to pray for you. And one of the ways that you can help us would be by uploading a picture of yourself. That way, uh, there's always a face to a name, and that's just a real help to us. So if you think of doing that, that'd be awesome. Uh, We also wanted to let you all know that there are two new members, uh, and that's Abigail Holbrook and Andrew Ramirez. I don't think they're around anymore. They were in first service, but if you see them, just uh, welcome them. It's a great thing to uh, be a member of God's church. Next, uh, budget confirmation is coming up. So this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock here at the church, uh, there's going to be a Q&A. And then on the 28th, we'll be confirming, and I should say, members 18 and above will be confirming the budget uh, online. Uh, Last, just so you know and are aware, uh, if you're looking for teaching, even uh, beyond what's happening in the service on Sunday morning, there's lots of teaching going on always each service. There's adult Bible classes going on. Uh, women's ministries meeting Thursday mornings, and we'll soon be meeting Thursday nights as well. Men are meeting for Men of the Word Friday mornings, and there's also a men's event this Saturday, uh, 1 a.m. I'm sorry, not 1 a.m. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. Can you imagine 1 a.m.? That would be truly for the faithful. Uh, <laughs> It's 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. That's a biblical eldership resources uh, mini conference. So uh, exciting things. And with all of that, announcements are at their end. Let's stand together as we begin our service, reading from God's Word. And we'll be reading from Psalm 135, verses 13 and 14. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And Lord, we thank you that your fame and greatness and glory endure forever. You're the same yesterday, today, and for all eternity. And Lord, we uh, are so thankful that we can gather together to praise you this morning. We thank you that you have compassion on us, your servants, and Lord, we need that compassion this morning. We're grateful uh, for your mercy towards us and that mercy that draws us in to relationship with you. We ask that everything we do this morning would be to the praise of your glorious grace. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Remain standing. We'll sing sing together this morning. Of heavenly, the righteous ones will worship me. No sadness, fear, or suffering. The joyful cries to the King of kings. We we'll sacrifice the fire. Oh, man. to introduce you guys to a new song uh, based off Psalm 150 this morning.
0: Our scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So if you'd like to turn there now with me, you can. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 10. And we'll remain standing together out of honor for God and his word. Ecclesiastes 11, 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. You may be seated. And in just a moment, we'll pray together. But before doing so, just want to mention that the missionary that we'll be praying for today is Brittany Livesey. And many of you know Brittany. She actually serves locally and is a, a member of Grace Church. She serves uh, with the El Medina community, with families uh, over there, just a stone's throw away. And um, it's been a, a blessing to even—I've had the privilege of serving over there with her. And Brittany's just amazing. So with Brittany, unlike a lot of our missionaries, because she's local— uh, you actually could like meet her if you don't know her so if you've never met Brittany uh, she would be a great person to connect with and meet um, what uh, what God has on her heart for el Medina is just it's just an encouraging thing to be around so we'll pray for her uh, together this morning let's let's pray now Lord we come to you now just desiring to give you praise um, Lord even in the songs that we were just singing we we're reminded that all of creation is is crying out your praise. It's all proclaiming that you're glorious. The uh, mountains and the sea and the sky and trees and all of your creation, it's all a testimony to your greatness. And so, Lord, we want to join that chorus this morning and just say, you and you alone are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself in your word to be uh a God who's holy and just and merciful and patient and kind and good. Lord, there's no other God like you. And all of, the, all of the false gods that mankind has created, they totally pale compared to you. And Lord, we are in need this morning of you opening our eyes to see you more clearly. We want to give you more praise. We want to more rightly know you so that we'd be even more floored and amazed by who you are. So Lord, we, we humbly ask that you would help us to see you more clearly this morning so that we'd be able to praise you with greater joy and love. And Lord, we also recognize, just thinking about who you are, that we fall so far short of your glory. Lord, even this week we have in so many ways rebelled against you, and we need your mercy now. Lord, we, some of us, are feeling totally burdened by our sin and can barely even lift our eyes to heaven Others of us, maybe we're harboring sin or we're uh, holding on to bitterness or envy or pride or jealousy. Lord, whatever our, our state this morning, we know that we need new mercy. And we thank you so much that in Christ there's new mercy for us every day. We come together to the foot of the cross again now. And we just say that all of our hope for forgiveness, for a relationship with you, for life it rests on Jesus Christ. There is no other one. There is no other way to you, and Lord, we trust Jesus as the one who satisfied the debt that was owed. We thank you that he died on the cross in the place of sinners and rose again. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the salvation that we have in him. And Lord, we thank you for Brittany, and we thank you so much for her ministry in El Medina. We thank you that she is bringing the gospel of that good news to people who desperately need it. And we just pray that you would cause what she's doing to bear eternal fruit. Lord, would the interaction with the families and the ministry at the park to younger kids and everything that's going on there, would it all be uh, useful in your hands, Lord, to be bringing people from death to life, bringing them to Jesus. So we just we ask for your grace on what's going on there. We pray for Brittany that you would continue to encourage her, strengthen her, build her up, give her joy in the work as she's serving you. And Lord, we ask that as a body we would be able to just continue to come alongside as in encouragement to her. Lord, we thank you for this morning together, and we pray more than anything else that you would turn our eyes to Jesus today. There is no one more beautiful, more worthy. Uh, more desirable, more awesome and great in all of creation than him. And we want to see him and worship him today. Please uh, help our minds and hearts to be filled with love for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
1: you for your spirit who, who allows us not just to hear words spoken, not just to sing, uh, sing songs, but to understand them and to know the true and living God. Open our eyes this morning, Lord, that we can see truths in your word. God, change us and transform us. We thank you, and we depend on you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Morning. It is true that the only perfect part of a worship service and our lives for that matter is God and his word and I am thankful for the hunger that God has given you for his inspired and errant infallible word of, and I'm thankful for the time you spend in it. Thankful for our times gathered around the word as we gather to worship. But I think if you're anything like me it could be very easy to spend much more time doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is a new term coined in the last year or so. And it's this idea of mindlessly scrolling through the negative news, news feeds, and losing perception of time. People can spend uh, hours doom scrolling, just going through. And what happens is you start going down the low road, you start camping out on other people's missteps, other people's failures, you start worrying about what everyone else is doing. he can be very tempting to blast others and to create some contention, a lot of things. And this is coupled with our negativity bias. We love to watch a fight. But it creates this dangerous cocktail, really, of confusion and contention. And doom scrolling really becomes uh, the new solo gripe session, but you're not with anyone, so you're, you don't have anyone to you know, bounce things off of and get corrected by. Like, don't, don't say that. You get riled up, you blast, you dwell on things, and what happens is, again, you go down the low road and you stay stuck in ruts. Ecclesiastes to the rescue. We've been journeying through Ecclesiastes in this past year, Just a little over a year now. And Ecclesiastes answers our problems. Real life advice from one who has been there and done that. And it's just fresh. It's a very old book and it's fresh. Spirit illumines our hearts and minds as we get into it. And it's just nutrient rich in its truth for the feeble and the frail and the failing and the faithless. What is Solomon doing at this point in Ecclesiastes, he is summing things up. He is, he is bringing things to a conclusion. And what he is doing is he is following up what he has said very strongly about being sensible, how you ought to be calm and realistic and careful and bold. And he's saying, be joyfully bold. Be joyfully bold. Mix with your generous, risky faith. Mix in huge quantities of joy because joy is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 11, uh, last week we looked at verses 7 and 8 and saw this, this really strong statement to rejoice in the life that God gives. It was a very strong statement. What you'll notice from verse 9 to the end of the book, the call to joy is expounded and really doubled down on and pressed into much greater detail from verses 9 to the end. And so verses 9 and 10 today tell us something. It says, be even more joyful. Be even more joyful. And to pull that off, you must rejoice in the truth that God commands. You must rejoice in the truth that God commands. Now, verses 7 and 8 made some, again, strong statements. Rejoice and remember. But verses 9 and 10... Give five imperative commands. So Solomon is turning up the heat here. He's not just making a strong statement. He is commanding something. And the five imperative commands are these. Rejoice. It's a command to rejoice. Walk, know, remove, and put away. Those five imperative commands packed into two verses. Rejoice, walk, know, remove, and put away. And it calls for our obedience, the conscience-binding word of God. And the idea is that if you want to rejoice rightly, you must obey these commands. So We're going to walk through these five commands today, these imperatives. Let's we'll look at verse 9. In verse 9, the first imperative command, no surprise, is rejoice. Rejoice. So again, Solomon says, rejoice, but now it's a command rejoice he says oh young man in your youth he is speaking as an aged man to younger folks and saying let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth basically don't waste your time now he was writing at that moment to someone younger this is now given to all of us and we're all basically getting the same command to rejoice to rejoice in your life that god gives you don't waste your time now we rejoice in all sorts of things the Bible makes it really clear we are to rejoice in God's commands. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 119, and if you're following our daily devotional that we've been putting up ever since COVID started, really, God's Truth for Trying Times, you'll notice that we are going through Psalm 119 right now. We've been going through the Psalms, and we're going like day by day through each paragraph in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you turn there, you look at verse 14, the psalmist says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. If you flip over to verse 111, it says, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And then if you go over to verse 162, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Like if you find a $20 bill in your pocket, you know, you're like, yes! we you're rejoicing over the word of God as one who finds some great riches. And then you've got to go to Philippians 4, because Philippians 4 speaks of rejoicing. Verses 4 to 8, Paul says very clearly, and it's a command. This is an imperative command, just like it is in Ecclesiastes. Rejoice. It's an imperative that calls for a continual habit of your life. Look at Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is like Solomon. Rejoice, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers, whatever is true, dwell on these things, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. And it's all wrapped up in this idea of rejoicing in Jesus Christ. For the believer in Christ, we are called, we are commanded to rejoice. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, it is the same kind of thing. These quick, imperative commands. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, shout joyfully. That's an imperative command. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, another imperative command. Come before him with joyful singing. And you'll notice that joy is often combined and you find it combined with singing because music expresses our joy. It's amazing, It's even startling what three to four minutes on repeat can do to shape your life, and how Christ-centered music can lift your soul to praise God. In 1907, in the bleak days before World War I, Henry Van Dyke wrote a hymn It's known as the Hymn of Joy. He wrote it to Beethoven's Ninth, the Ode to Joy. And here's the words he wrote, joyful, joyful we are. Adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. In Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and and hymns and spiritual songs. It brings joy, it generates joy. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're commanded to rejoice. Believer is commanded to rejoice in Christ, to to remember the joy that you have in Christ as you live surrendered to God's sovereign sufficiency. Rejoice. Now, the next four imperatives are building upon this. They come so quick. They're machine gun-like. Verse 9 also says, walk in the ways of your heart. The second imperative command right after rejoice is walk. Walk. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Now this makes it even more forceful because now Solomon is adding another command on top of rejoice. It's rejoice as you live your life. Walk is the Bible's way of saying your way of life, the way you live. And we are, we are commanded in Scripture, Psalm 1 verse 1, walk in God's ways. Psalm 15 verse 2, walk blamelessly. We are called to walk in righteousness. We are called to walk in understanding, in obedience. We are called, 1 John 1, 7, uh, in the light. Walk in the light, live in the light. We are called to walk in the footsteps of faith, Romans 4. We are to walk, we are to live our life. And then it says, in, it has to do with the eyes. You notice that it says, in the sight of your eyes? The eyes are very important. They're the instrument of your heart. We've been having to wear masks for so long that we've realized we have to express a lot more emotion with our eyes. We try to, at least. Try to smile at someone with your eyes. It's not easy when you're wearing a mask. The Old Testament says that visual beauty can lead to joy, Exodus 4.14, wisdom, it's littered through the Proverbs, delight, but it can also lead you to lust, or covetousness, or disdain. So the eye is describing your quest in life. That what, what and how you see determines the direction of your life. I think this is why the, the psalmist was so intent on praying to God and saying, Psalm 119 verse 18, open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your word. I think This is why Paul was so intent praying the Ephesians that God would open the eyes of their hearts. He would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. So we are to rejoice. We are to live our life rejoicing. These are are commands. And then we come to the third imperative command. Still in verse 9, the word know. That's an imperative command. You are to know something. You are to grasp something. You are to realize. You are to recognize something. Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now we come across a word that's a bit scary for us. We get a little fearful. We, want, we wonder about judgment what that might be. To know means to grasp the truth, to grasp truth that corrects you and shapes you. That's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's, it's knowledge that gets into your heart where you realize and your heart is engaged and that you have the will to do good, that that you're being told to know that God will bring you into judgment is to know that you cannot refuse God's kingly rule, that he is sovereign, that he is good, that, that the king's judgment is coming. And this is not the judgment of God in general, but this is speaking of a specific event where God will judge everyone. In the face of sin, a holy God must act. He must judge sin. And his justice is not blind. His justice is not cold neutral. His justice is like spot-on, all-consuming fire. The fearful, things to fall, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's judgment coming because he always does what is right. We don't always judge things rightly. We call things wrongly with a family member, with a friend. We look at something and we we, we make the wrong call. God always makes the right call. He always does what is right. And what Solomon is telling us, really commanding us is rejoice responsibly. Rejoice with caution. Realize that God will judge. This is not the first time in Ecclesiastes that we read these words. In chapter 3, verse 17, we read similar words. And then the whole book will be capped off In verse 14 of chapter 12, the very last sentence, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We have to reckon with that. We have to cautiously rejoice. We have to know it, realize it. It's the idea of letting sober delight govern your joy. Michael Reeves puts it this way, fear of God defines true joy in God. In the same way that Christ's delight is in the fear of the Lord, so the fear of the Lord is a pleasure to believers for it is about enjoying his fearfully lovely glory. The idea is if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you don't run from God in fear. You run to him in in biblical fear, right fear of the believer, where you are rejoicing in the goodness of God, where you are trembling at his majesty, where you are awestruck in the presence of a holy God who would save you, his mercy and grace. These commands are strong. Rejoice walk, live your life, and know something. Now we come to the fourth and fifth imperative commands. We're going to put those together because they call for the same thing. They call for the same thing. Look at verse 10. You see the word remove and then put away. They're calling for the same thing. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This word remove is a very strong word. It means to turn something off. It means to decline something. It means to to put something away. It means to depart from something. And literally, it means to behead something. Like, cut the head off of this. Take vexation away from you. Put away pain from your body. Vexation. Vexation. What vexation is? Is we don't use this term very often, but it's a, a very rich word biblically. It's the flip side of rejoice. How can we grasp vexation? Like, how do I know if I'm trafficking in vexation? Well, let me give you some words you can quickly understand: anger, grief, indignation, provocation, frustration, evil, sorrow. So vexation encompasses all those words, all those things. It's an amalgamation, a, the a meatloaf of misery, really. If you think about it, it's literally just all put together in vexation. So if you, just, you could just use vexation this, you say, I'm vexed right now. And your whole family will know, you know, I'm angry, I, I'm grieving, I'm in, indignant, I'm provoked, I'm frustrated, I'm sorrowing, and oh, and there's a bit of wrath thrown in for the good measure. And this is not escapism. This is not, oh, you know what? Uh, escape all the pain. I mean, every one of us, the, the older we get, the more pain we, we are enduring. This is not escapism. This is an e-invite to rejoice responsibly. This is Ecclesiastes inviting you to rejoice, but do it knowing that God will bring judgment. And now let's look at the flip side of joy, vexation and pain. Remove it, behead it, put it away. You see, biblical faith doesn't choke your freedom. It points you in the right direction. The awareness of God's judgment helps you fear doing evil and do good by faith. Want to do good. Think about all of life springs from your heart. This is speaking of the heart and the eyes, and all of life springs from your heart. The heart is the seat of joy and sorrow you remove or put away things that produce evil and sorrow in your life. Over and over again, the Bible warns against sin. What Ecclesiastes is doing right here is exhorting to a life of loving God who gives you joy. This is like Ephesians 4, which says, let all anger and wrath and malice and slander be be put away from you. This is this is like Colossians 3, the putting off the old self and putting on the new clothes of a Christian. And you're to, to remove these things before they settle down into your heart. We've already seen this in Ecclesiastes. The fool lets it stay and simmer. But to be joyful, you've got to uproot sin in your life. You've got to pull it out by the roots. You've got to eliminate joy barriers. You've got to eradicate... Hindrances to joy. You've got to exterminate joy killers. Your joy is stolen when sin is tolerated or celebrated or condoned in your life. When scripture is twisted. You know, we don't want to be on a mission to point out everyone else's flaws. We want to, we want to repent of our own sins but God makes it really clear that we are to hold to the faith and to teach the faith clearly and then to refute those who contradict the faith. This is why we are intent on refuting false teaching on what is even called, quote-unquote, progressive Christianity that was really regressive and oppressive because it mixes truth in with lies and is deceptive. It rejects God's sovereignty. It refuses Scripture's authority. It reduces Christ's lordship. It questions God. It's missing love as a result. 1 Peter 3.11 tells us, just turn away from evil and do good. 2 Peter 3.11 says, what what sort of people ought you to be? Knowing that God's judgment is coming. What what sort of people ought you to be? Living lives of holiness and godliness? We turn from trouble. You deport joy diminishers you're like Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife because you know right and wrong and, and you want a tender conscience so you trust Christ you, you actively follow him in obedient faith you don't live for yourself you say i, I want I want to, to be joyful and, and we know joy is the fruit of the spirit joy is a is a proof of the Spirit of God working in the life of a believer. We are called not to quench the Spirit. We are told very strongly, do not quench the Spirit. We are told very strongly, do not grieve the Spirit. We are called to repent. We are called to take responsibility for our lives and realize we are in need of forgiveness. We are in misery often because of our sin. You are in misery often because of your sin. And, and when you realize that you're poor in spirit, those moments are wonderful, they're sweet, because you realize I'm bankrupt apart from Christ. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I believe John 15, 5, where Jesus said that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I know that Jesus is the answer. And so you want to acknowledge God's holiness in the midst of the misery and grief that the awareness of your sin brings, because here's what God does. God grants joy to sinners who turn from their sins in obedience and faith. I love the Heidelberg Confession, and I love question one. Your own, what's your only comfort in life and death? Well, I belong in life and death to my faithful Savior who fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And I love question two. What do you need to know? And this really helps us right here as we're talking about rejoicing even more in Christ. What do you need to know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And I love the three answers. First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. I know that if you're a believer, you, you grieve over your sin when you're, it's pointed out, when you're reminded of it. But well, what you need to be reminded of today is God's joy for you in Christ that is actually commanded, that you rejoice as you live your life knowing judgment is coming, and you remove vexation. You remove and you put away pain that, that sin brings. You, you, you remove sin from your life, and, and that's not easy. But you, by the Spirit of God, a believer can say no to sin and yes to Christ. And and then you keep remembering. Remember is such a big biblical word. In, In a few moments, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table on the Lord's day. We're going to be remembering what Jesus did at the cross. Remember is a big word in the Christian life. We are to remember joy. You are to remember your joy in Christ, believer. It's ballast for your sinking soul. In those moments when your soul seems to be sinking, it's where God sweetly provides for those he has called into fellowship with himself. That He has granted you to rejoice. And, and it comes strictly from God. Joy comes strictly from God. It, it is his gift to the sorrowing. It is, his, it, is, it is his way of strengthening the weary, of upholding and encouraging the faint-hearted. But what do we do? What do we do? We put on a joyful facade. We put on this smiley face when everyone's looking. We might feel like we're dying inside, despairing. Might be scared, might be alone. In those moments, you got to turn to Jesus. In those moments, you got to know that Jesus understands, Jesus cares, and as sure as there's daylight right now, surely there is someone, some human being that cares too though you might think no one cares. But you have to take the risk and reach out and let someone know what's going on to see if they even care. What do we do with these five imperative commands? Rejoice, walk, know, remove, put away. What we do is we rejoice in the truth that God commands. We rejoice in these commands, we, we say, I, I, I want to do this. I, I want to choose joy. I want to run from ruinous things. I, I, I know judgment's coming, but I know joy's a gift from God. I'm going to enjoy life to the full. I'm going to enjoy my life. I resolve to enjoy my life. And by the way, we always think of judgment as well, God's going to judge all the things I did wrong, all the sins I committed. That's true, actually. You're thinking rightly there. Do you know that God is going to judge whether you enjoyed him enough? You should be enjoying God and your life as much as you can, because this verse tells me that God is going to call you to account, call me to account, for failure to enjoy. Rejoice is a command. God is going to judge whether you enjoyed his gifts enough. If that's not an open invitation to enjoy life, I don't know what is. We, we have so many reasons to rejoice. I mean, rejoice in the truth that God commands. Resolve to rejoice. Everything you need is in Christ. We have so many reasons to rejoice. On your, on your sermon notes there, I, I gave you 20. I made up 20. I'm not going to go all over them. You can read them. But there's like multitudes of reasons to Rejoice from God's inspired and errant infallible word. Multitudes of reasons, thousands. You can come up with thousands of reasons to rejoice. God's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what every believer can say. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ. When I think of my brothers and sisters in Christ, God fills me with joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Philippians 1.3. He says to the Philippians, you are my joy and crown. He says to the Thessalonians, you're, my, you're our joy. Even fellow believers. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. He works all things together for good for the elect. He keeps his promises. So you get to Jude 24, and it says, To him, to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy. His joy, Christ's joy, your joy, our joy, you don't see Jesus right now, First 1 Peter 1, 1.9 tells you, but you believe in him and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You can't even express it. He will never leave you or forsake you. And there will be an epic ending. Read Revelation over and over again. There will be an epic ending. Until so tomorrow morning, when life seems to be caving in and when you think there's an avalanche Rejoice in the truth that God commands. You can doom scroll all you want. It's a joy inhibitor, it crushes all semblance of joy. Me, for my part, I'm going to remember that joy is a gift. And God supplies and sustains joy in your life as a believer, if you're a believer. He creates and commands it, He creates joy and commands joy. Our God is awesome. He endows you with joy, and then he wants you to employ it. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. That's an amalgamation. That's that's an aggregate of, of many things the Spirit of God does in the life of a believer. But you are to enjoy those things as a gift from the Spirit of God and employ those things as you serve God. Because every one of even the nine fruit of the Spirit are not only given to each believer, they are commanded to each believer to, to be that way, to love one another, to be patient with one another, to be at peace with one another. Go through all nine and you'll notice. Joy is God's counterintuitive gift to counteract the misery of depravity that runs counterfeit to God's glory. Joy tells the world, Christ is victorious. Christ is victor. Joy shouts to the world the greatness of God. Like 1 Chronicles 29, 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. He's transcendent. God is transcendent, unapproachable, unseen. But he is also imminent is present in all creation, distinct from creation. He is omnipresent; there is nowhere that God is not. Sovereign everywhere simultaneously. But joy reminds the church of the goodness of God, in His nearness to believers, in His imminence, His closeness to His people in Christ, so that Paul would say, under the Spirit's inspiration, "Christ in you." the hope of glory. Christ lives in me. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, right hand, pleasures forever. Jesus would say that my joy would be in you and your joy would be made full. That He would say no one will steal your joy. So that means that if you're a believer, you're not suffering alone. Jesus is with you and he's empowering you to live for his glory. Joy isn't life without problems. It's life lived in the presence of God. I love what Stephen Charnock said. What we see in Christ is so beautiful, it can make the sad sing for joy and the dead spring to life. I like what Scottish preacher Robert Murray Machane said. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ He said, he is altogether lovely. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Do not run from him in fear. Feast on his delightful presence. And you will find that you can be even more joyful and that you can rejoice and the truth that God commands. And Lord God, we praise you. Lord, we ask that our vaporous life would, would be a very joyful sacrifice to you, our very worthy king. We have everything we need in you, Lord Jesus. And our desire is that one day we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master in whose name we pray Amen we get to come to the Lord's table on the Lord's day what joy fill the heart of every believer to know that we are remembering what Jesus did at the cross in our place, shedding his blood, paying for sin to set us free. At this table, we remember Jesus and what he did. That is something to rejoice in. In Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Who could even stand? We could not stand. We stand only but for the grace of God, the mercy of God in Christ. We who are so aware of our sin have the gift from God to be so aware of a Savior who paid for our sin bore our sin the judgment our sins deserved put on Christ at the cross and the mercy holds back the wrath that we deserve and grace grants us what we do not deserve and that is why this table makes sense only for believers it is for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ crucified buried risen reigning And returning. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The full payment was made for sin, that mercy could be extended to sinners that even if our hearts condemn us, as 1 John tells us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. That in Christ, every believer was known before the foundation of the world, chosen, called by the gospel, regenerated, forgiven, beloved. And so we come to this table knowing that our sin hinders joy, but Jesus generates joy in the hearts of his followers. He said, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we praise you. We thank you that Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. We are aware of our sin and its effects, but we know that in Christ we are free from its power and penalty. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your presence with us, even for this table to remember you by. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We proclaim your death until you come again. Amen.
1: Stand with us as we close in singing.
2: him. Tonight, we'll be here at 6 p.m. for Grace Bible Institute. A lot of people have already signed up. Please go online to sign up so we know uh, who to plan for. And let's close uh, with Revelation chapter 1, part of this epic ending that's coming, verses 5 through 7, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 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 Have a wonderful day.